I'm not sure about you, but I, I, I detect a sense of expectancy here this morning. And my prayer is that as we open God's word, that he will just continue to speak to us and speak to our hearts through his Holy Spirit. We're looking at um, the next in our series of uh, When People Met Jesus. And should I walk away from these microphones, guys? Am I okay. Uh, and we're looking at the story on the Emmaus Road this morning. You'll find it in Luke chapter 24. Um, it's one of the series that we've been doing. Um, let's see, I go to the right here, do I? Nope. Remember I said when people come into the, the service, I don't know whether it glints off their head or whatever. Um, we, we, we've been doing a number of uh, different encounters with Jesus, and we've been really looking to see about the difference that Jesus made in their lives. We've been looking at the values that, that, that people learned from Jesus uh, and what change happened in them. And we're asking the question for ourselves, so what for me? So what for me? What, what difference does that make to me? Because my prayer, I don't know about you, but my prayer is for me that this truth does something in here and it changes me to be more like him uh, and the story we're looking at today is one of these uh, before and after if you go to the next one there josh one of these before and after stories i don't know if you've you're used to seeing these sort of pictures uh, a picture of a before and an after and it could be a kind of a follically challenged bloke on one side and then a guy with a mane on the other side uh, and, and that appeals to me. Um, or it might be a picture of, of someone who's overweight on one side and a finely honed athlete on the other side. Or it might be someone sad on one side and happy on the other. Because of this treatment, because of this cream, because of this tablet, because of this gym, and you look at the face of the other one and they're happy and you say, whatever they're having, I want some of that. This story this morning is one of those before and after stories. We see someone before and we see, we well, see two people before and we see two people after. And it really is a, 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 a dramatic change because the before we see people whose faces are downcast and discouraged and confused and after here's what they're saying weren't our hearts ablaze within us weren't our hearts ablaze within us don't don't we want our hearts to be burning haven't we a lot for our hearts to be burning about for those of us who know Christ? And yet sometimes we're too much in the before. We're too much of our faces downcast. So as we look at the passage this morning, we're looking for what is the element? What are the things that happen to these people as a result of their encounter with Jesus that changes them into the people that he wants each of us to be? People whose hearts are ablaze. So uh, that's, that's what we're, we're looking at this morning. Just quickly to mention the, the, the chronology or the, the, the sequence of events coming up to this. If we go to the next slide, we can see that um, 
Yeah, uh, Easter Sunday, uh, this, th- these are just, just happenings, the happenings of Easter Sunday. Jesus has been crucified, and then on Easter Sunday morning, two days later, on the third day, if you like, Friday, Saturday, this is now the Sunday, Mary Magdalene had come with the group of women to the tomb. And, and by the way, you have to find this from all of the different Gospels. This, this, this is roughly the picture as far as I can see it. Um, that, that they found the tomb was empty. They were met by angels who said to them, he has risen. The woman left. Some of them uh, filled with fear. Some of them filled with joy, not sure what to do. And then on one side, Mary Magdalene, according to John's account, seems to have run ahead, told Peter and John, then they themselves have come back and found the tomb empty. Meanwhile, the woman make their way back to the disciples and Jesus meets them on their way and declares that he has risen. And the woman, here's the thing, they report the findings to the disciples and they don't believe. They don't believe them. They're thinking, ah, oh, you, I don't know, you're emotional or whatever it is. And you can just see the picture of this, yeah, this sort of closed-minded, I don't know. But, but there's something they go, yeah, yeah, thanks very much. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll leave that. We'll, we'll have a think about it. But they don't believe them. And then Jesus appears to Mary Magdalene. Now, after the story, this is, this is what's happening now. So there is this element of confusion. There's an element of disappointment. There's an element of, of, of not sure what's happening with all the disciples. And that's when the road to Emmaus happens. This story on the road to Emmaus. After this, then Jesus appears to Peter. He appears to the 11 disciples, the 10, first of all, then the 11 with Thomas. Then he appears to 500 uh, at various different times over 40 different days. And then he gives them the Great Commission. But right now, this is the period of it's just happened. And there's the women have said this. We're not really sure what's happening. And that's when we get this situation when uh, these disciples are walking on the road to Emmaus. So let's pick it up in Luke chapter 24, verse 13. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, are you only a visitor to Jerusalem and don't know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one that was going to redeem Israel. And what's more, it's the third day since all this took place. In addition, some women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but they didn't find his body. They came and told us that they'd seen a vision of angels who said he was alive And then some of her companions went to see the tomb and found it just as the woman had said. But him they didn't see. And he said to them, How foolish you are. How slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them all what was said in the scriptures concerning himself. All what was said. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he was going further, but they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it's nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went to stay with them. 
When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and began to give it to them. And then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And then he disappeared from their sight. And they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us when he talked with us on the road and opened up the scriptures to us? And then they got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, it's true, the Lord is risen. He's appeared to Simon. And then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. So what happened that changed these people? You put the next one up then, Josh, please. The first thing we're told is they walked with Jesus. Verse 15, it says, uh, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. And verse 16 says, interestingly, they were kept from recognizing him. They were kept from, rec- they didn't recognize who Jesus was. They were kept I don't know why they were kept from recognizing him. Could it be that had they realized who it was they were talking to, the whole emotion of the whole moment would have been taken over them and they wouldn't have got the truths that he was going to tell them? I don't know. But what we are told is they didn't recognize. He was walking along with them and they didn't recognize him. And I'm not sure that that's totally out of character with Jesus. Because if you remember the story that he tells, the parable he says, which is, which is what's going to happen in the future. He says the Son of Man and all his glory is going to be there and the nations are going to be gathered before him. And he's going to separate the, the, the sheep from the goats uh, or the people as a, as a shepherd would separate the sheep from the goats. And the king is going to say to the, the ones on one side, he's going to say, come you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance for I was hungry. And you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you visited me. And they said to him, you'll know this story really well. When did we see that all happening and do that? We didn't recognize you. And Jesus said, when you did it to each of these, the least of these, my brother, and you did it to me. And I think there's a sense that when we do, when we act out in service to Christ, in response to him, he's there in a very real way, even though we don't see him necessarily. And in Matthew 28, at the Great Commission, he says to the disciples, and surely, what did he say? I will be with you, what? Always. We may not always see him, but he's with us. And if you remember when, when Jesus appeared to the disciples, first of all, and Thomas wasn't there, and a week later Thomas did see Jesus. And Jesus said, because you have seen me, you've believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. And there's this picture of Jesus walking along with them. And I wonder how often we realize that Jesus is with us in our journey. There's a a lovely part at the end of the story, and I think in verse 28, 29, when Jesus says, it it made it look as if he was going to go further. And they said, no, no, stay with us, for it's nearly evening. They were really absorbed by what Jesus had been talking to them about. They still didn't know who Jesus was, but they wanted him to stay with us. Jesus waits 
for us to invite him. He's there. You remember the story in Revelation when Jesus is talking to the church of Laodicea. And what does he say to them after he's told them they're lukewarm? And he's told them, those who I love, I discipline. He says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone, what, hears my voice. And what do they do? They open the door. Then what's going to happen? I'm going to come in and eat with him and he with me. There's a very real sense where Jesus is inviting us to invite him to walk with us. He doesn't force that relationship upon us, but he waits to be invited. And then we're told that they poured their hearts out to him, basically. They, they, they expressed, well, those are my words, they expressed their disappointments. They dis- expressed their, their concerns, their fears. They said, we had hoped that he was going to do this. They were disappointed, they were confused, they were depressed. And as I thought about the conversation that happened on the road to Emmaus that day, I wondered how similar is that to my prayer life? Sometimes I think I'm a bit polite when it comes to prayers. You know when you you bring your child up well, they're a sort of person who who says sorry when when they should say sorry. And they say, thank you very much, that's very good of you, thank you very much. And you go, ah, it's my girl. I brought her up well. Was not to do with her mother. And, and, and there is this politeness. I wonder, is there something of that in my prayers? Sometimes, am I just polite with God? Thank you very much, God. Thank you for this. Thank you. Thank you for that. Thank you for the world so sweet. Thank you for the food I eat. Thank you for the birds that sing. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. But is that all that my prayers are? Lord, I'm sorry for that. I really do apologize for that. I'm really sorry for that. When we look at the Psalms and we look at the pouring out, I love the fact that the Psalms pour out, the Psalmist pours out the heart to God. Psalm 13, how long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts? Day after day, I have sorrow in my heart. There's a heartfelt pouring out of your soul to God. Psalm 51, you know that one where David was feeling very repentant from what he did. I'm going to read it it from the message. Don't throw me out with the trash or fail to breathe your holiness within me. Bring me back from the gray exile. Put a fresh wind in my sails. Give me a job teaching rebels your ways so the lost can find their way home. And then on another occasion when he's praising God, he says, better is one day in your courts than what? A thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in your house than to be anywhere else, than to be in the house, uh, than to dwell in the tents of the, of the wicked is what the psalmist says. Are our prayers passionate or are they polite? Do we really walk with God? I challenge myself. Sometimes I do and sometimes Maybe I'm just going through the motions. And I believe that Jesus wants from us our heart, our real heartfelt pouring out and asking God those questions and pouring out our heart in real praise and not just formulas. I remember talking to an Assyrian guy um, once, and I might have told you this before, forgive me if I have. He told me, he was from a Muslim background, and he told me about how he came to know God. And it was, there's a long story to this, but the bit that I'm going to mention, it was in the middle of the night and he got up to the fridge, he went down to the kitchen, got up to the fridge and he said, God spoke to him as clear as you speak to me. And I was thinking, wow. 
And he said, he, he said, write this down. And he wrote this down, whatever, whatever this voice told him. And he had no idea what this meant. And he brought it to his dentist the next day who happened to be a Christian. And he said that, and I, I, I wish I could tell you what the verse is, but I can't. But it was a verse from Hebrews. And he said, that's word for word from Hebrews. He said, that's God speaking to you. That's Jesus, the Son of God speaking to you. And he came to faith in Christ there and then. And I asked him, well, what is, what is life like for you now? And he said to me, every morning I set my alarm at 3 a.m. And I come down to the kitchen and I meet God where he met me first. And when I talked to him, I heard passion in his heart. And I thought, yes, that's what God wants from me. A real desire and passion, an outpouring of my heart. He wants to walk with us in a very real way. And, and, and I don't know about you, sometimes, you know, by necessity we pray inside, but I think it helps to verbalize, doesn't it? I don't know about you, when you pray, um, I'm discovering, I, sometimes I pray up a, a lonely road with my dog who probably thinks I'm a bit mental because I'm, I'm, I'm speaking it out. And uh, there's other times I pray when I'm in the car by myself. And I think Bluetooth's a great invention because when people look into the car, instead of thinking that guy needs to be locked up, they think he's in a really important conversation. And they're right, but it's not with the phone. These people were real with God. And they said, were not our hearts burning when he talked to us on the road and when he opened up the scriptures? And the next one is then, that if you take the next one, Josh, please. So they walked with Jesus and then we're told they learned the truth about Jesus. He opened up the scriptures to them. Their hopes and dreams were smashed because Jesus hadn't fulfilled their expectations. They had thought that he was something else because they'd only part of the, the picture. And it's a dangerous thing, isn't it, when you only get part of the picture, when a little knowledge can be a very dangerous thing. Uh, and, and I've heard a story, I'm sure you've heard this before, it's not, I'm sure it's not a true story, about a, a, young, a young toddler who, uh, who went up to his rich great-uncle Bob, let's call him, and he said, great-uncle Bob, um, can, you, can, you, uh, can you do a frog impersonation for me? And he said, a frog impersonation? What do you want me to do a frog impersonation for me? Oh, please, just do a frog impersonation for me. I said, why, why do you want a frog impersonation? He said, well, I overheard my dad saying to my mum, when great-uncle Bob croaks, we can go to Florida. <laughs> you see, the problem is that we kid had only got part of the picture. And it's a very dangerous thing. And these disciples had only got part of the picture of who Jesus was. Somehow, they were blind to the fact that Jesus was going to be suffering. They had got this picture that he was going to be something mighty and great. In verse 19, they say, they, they, they told Jesus, oh, we were expecting this guy who was a prophet. And they were right, powerful in word and deed, because there was this expectation that this, this, there was going to be a Messiah. Some felt that there was going to be a prophet before the Messiah that, that Moses had prophesied in, in Deuteronomy 18. And so there was this expectation, this prophet was here, and Jesus had spoken the words of God, and they believed him. And he performed all sorts of wonderful deeds. They also said in verse 21, we thought he was going to redeem Israel. There was this political hope that he was going to come and, and, and deliver them from the hands of Rome. 
And we see that coming out in the language. I'm, I'm not going to go through. I could give you some verses about how people use this language. And you, you see there this sort of sense of Jesus going to bring glory to your people, Israel. The problem is they'd only half the truth. They'd the story of Jesus being a Messiah who would rule and reign, but not who was a servant who would come and suffer and die. And so Jesus said to them, he said, how foolish you are. How foolish you are. It was there for all to see. They didn't believe, even though Jesus had told them before the crucifixion, he said to them this was going to happen. Three times he told them he was going to suffer. Uh, he was going to die. He was going to be betrayed into the hands of ma- men. And after the story, you remember of the rich young ruler. I think it's in Luke chapter 18. These are the words that he said. Jesus took the 12 aside and told them, we're going to go to Jerusalem. Everything that's written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. He will be delivered over to the Gentiles. They'll mock him, insult him, spit on him. They'll flog him and kill him. And on the third day, he will rise again. The disciples did not understand any of this, Luke records. And so they had this testimony of the woman. The tomb was empty. Jesus had explained to them what would happen. Three days had gone and they still didn't believe. And so Jesus says to them, How foolish, how foolish you are. And Jesus, it says, then took him through the scriptures and pointed all of the things in the Old Testament to who Jesus was. And I don't know what he said. In fact, it's it's interesting that it's not recorded what he said. But I went through a few of the scriptures, a few of the things that, that have been said about Jesus. And I wonder, did he point to these passages? He didn't have a Bible, but they had the scrolls and he knew them. So he didn't dig out his iPod and do a Google search. He was able to talk to them about what the scripture said. Now, again, they didn't know who they were talking to at this stage. But I wonder, did they point to Genesis? Did he point them to Genesis and talk about the, 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 the way back in Genesis 3, the seed of the woman who was going to crush Satan's head? That was Jesus. The descendant of Abraham that would bring blessing to the whole nations, that was Jesus. The Passover lamb that was sacrificed in Exodus, that pointed to Jesus, the Lamb of God. The high priests in in, uh, Leviticus who made um, sacrifices for all the people, that was Jesus, the great high priest that was pointing to. In Deuteronomy, the prophet that was going to come greater than Moses, that was Jesus. In Kings, the son of David, that was Jesus. In Psalms, the cornerstone that the builders rejected, that was Jesus. In Zechariah, the king riding on a donkey into Jerusalem, that was Jesus. Malachi, the son of righteousness with healing on his wings, Jesus. In Isaiah, Jesus was the one who was talked about, despised and rejected by men. Man of sorrows, familiar with suffering. The one who would take our infirmities, carry our sorrows, who'd be pierced for our transgressions, who would be led like a lamb to the slaughter, who'd be buried with the rich, for one, the one for whom it was God's will to crush. The punishment that brought upon him brought us peace. By his wounds we are healed. That was Jesus. And Jeremiah, the one acquainted with sorrows, that was Jesus. The true Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, that was Jesus. And again and again, Jesus would have been able to point right the way through the Bible, from Genesis right the way through the Old Testament and the prophets, Jesus in every page 
Wow. And their eyes were opened. Were are not our hearts burning? When he opened the scriptures to us, they said later. Jesus' death and suffering, he said to them, was not a setback in redeeming Israel, but the method by which the whole world would be redeemed. But we had hoped, they said, that was based on a limited half-understanding. And Jesus pointed them to the word of God. And, and look, this is tough sometimes. But the Bible itself says to us about itself, it says the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing the soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. He was saying, look, you see God's word? It's alive. It's life-giving. And you only have half the truth because you don't have a clue about what's written in there. Get into the word. Open the scriptures and understand who I am. And so, as we, as we draw things to a close, we see that they had journeyed with God together, they had, they had, with Jesus together. They had, they had opened the scriptures to him and then they journeyed together. I love this fact that these were two folk that were talking with Christ on their way about everything that happened. That had happened. They were talking of Christ. And I think there's a lesson for us all. And this is what Moses said in Deuteronomy to the folk. He said, write these commandments that I've given you today on your hearts. That's what's written in here. Talk to about them whenever you're, uh, wherever you are, sitting at home or walking in the street. Talk about them from time to time whenever you get up in the morning and whenever you fall to bed at night. Do you talk to your friends, your Christian friends, about some of the struggles that you have, about your experiences of Jesus, that we're in this together? Proverbs 27, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. It's a great privilege, isn't it, to have fellowship our faith is not a private thing. We're not our hearts burning, they said, when he talked to us as they reflected together. I have people that I journey with. That, that sounds a very fancy way of saying it. I have a few mates. And of some friends, very good friends here, Christians. And I was out with one of them this week and we laughed together. We reminisced together. And we talked about our faith together. And it was life-giving. And when I go over to see another of my friends, uh, you hear me talking about him all the time, Farouz. One of the best things about going over to see him is in the evenings, he's sitting on the sofa and he says, brother, have a seat. Here's a cup of tea. Talk to me about Jesus. And we spend the evening just talking about Jesus because we're journeying together. Someone once said, you can't start a flame with one stick. Hebrews 10 says this, Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. And so they journeyed together. And then in verse 30 and 31, we discover when was it that it was revealed who Jesus was? When were their eyes opened? It's when he broke the bread. I love that. When they broke their bread together, it's when they, the eyes were opened as to who Jesus was. And so those are three things that had happened uh, that I really believe set their hearts ablaze. They were walking with Jesus. He opened the scriptures of them and showed them the truth about who he was. And they were journeying together. And then we're told, what did they do? They got up and they shared their testimony. 
They went to the other disciples and they told them what had happened along the way. And the disciples told them about what Peter had seen too. Because they had to respond. There's something life-giving about telling others about what the hope that it is that we have. And so, as we come to a conclusion, the next one, please, Josh. Where do we go with this? Yeah, one back. (laughs) Were not our hearts burning within us? These were things that happened that made the before become the after. Were not our hearts burning? When I picture the, the, the disciples in the upper room, sometimes it looks like an image of this room with the doors locked because they were afraid of the Jews, we're told, I think it's in John 20. And you think, my goodness, that wasn't very much, that wasn't very impressive. And, and you kind of look and you think, oh, that's not one to be proud of, guys. And then I think, I wonder, is that the image that the church has? Uh, that we come to our safe zone here. And we, we encourage each other, we stir each other up. But we're still behind those closed doors. And as I was thinking about this and praying through this, before I heard the, the picture that uh, Susie mentioned this morning, I had this sort of... Uh, I don't know whether I'd say a picture, but just a sense of the word potential. Because when I look around here, I don't know about you, I'm sure you feel the same way. We are so blessed with so many people who have a heart for God and who have been gifted by God. These disciples were pre-Pentecost. The Holy Spirit has since been poured out. We have the Holy Spirit's anointing on us. And God forbid that we would be people who are behind that closed door. Oh, that God would set within us hearts that are ablaze, that would make us want to go out those doors and not, not be stupid, but not be afraid to be seen as stupid either, but just to be able to share what's really on our hearts, that our hearts are ablaze because we walk with Jesus every day, that the scriptures are open to us as we, as we spend time in his presence, that we stir each other up and encourage each other that we might give our testimony to others. It's my prayer that that potential that God has put within us, that that would become a reality. And I sense an expectancy. I really do that God can use us in our places of work and in this town, that God would use us and stir our hearts afresh and that we would spur each other on, that we would have hearts that are ablaze because there's plenty to be ablaze about. Derek.